0: So welcome. uh, Today, we've got uh, Clay Kelly from claykelly.com and every other nefarious uh, group uh, that he is part of (laughs) with us today. Uh, Literally needs no introduction, is well known to all of us in the industry, but we'll get into that a little bit more. So uh, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Pat. Thanks for being with us. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. So I I always start uh, at the beginning. And with you, uh, there are really two beginnings. Like so there's the beginning in the industry, and then the beginning uh, of the sales career. Uh, but I think, or even before that, before that, you were working for a fairly famous guy for uh, a little
1: while. Who was that? Uh, well, my stint at Tony Robbins actually started in '95 and went until 2007 when Brandy and I met. And um, yeah, that was, it was a really, really great time. Tony is an amazing man, traveled the world with him and had a really, it, it served a really great purpose in my life at the time. And uh, we still correspond uh, from time to time, a couple times a year. Mm -hmm. And so his birthday is a, he's a leap year baby. So I was just sending him an email saying, Hey, uh, just wishing you the best and hope you're doing well. And he sends back a little voicemail recorded voicemail that usually comes at like three o'clock in the morning and (laughs) uh, saying, Hey, it's great to catch up with you and hope you're doing well. And this is what we've got going on. And may see him in Dallas in November.
0: Oh, that's good. That would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Let me spend just a minute on this. You said, uh, you met him at an important part of your life, and he had a big impact on you. And I know there's more to that story.
1: So um, I, I will tell you that I went through a tremendous amount of growth during that time. <laughs> when, you, when I look back at the people that have impacted my life early in my career, um, I wanted to be like my dad, who was an unbelievably great salesman, and I wanted to be like my uncle. Uh, both self-made men. and but both of them were pretty ego driven. and um and so I just I modeled that. And uh, fortunately, I still have friends that are with me to this day and even clients that knew me back then that um uh, you know, when my ego was exploding and um, you know, I just I just thought that that was my reference point. Mm-hmm. And so um, I you you get into the environment that uh, Tony operates in and then you get invited to be a part of the um, working environment and there's no room there for ego. Um, I, I, I always tell this story. So there's one guy that can tell Tony Robbins no. And let's just his name is Gary. Um, and Gary was he was the guy. He never told Tony no. He always told Tony we can do it this way, this way, or this way. You make the choice. Never told him no. He's smart. And I had rose rose up through the ranks pretty quick in the Robbins organization um, because I never put Tony in that star quality and because I had a healthy ego at the time. And I'll never forget, we were in Chicago, and we were getting ready to start um, a three-day firewalk seminar. And uh, we finished this meeting, and Gary said, Clay, I'd like you to stick around for a second. And I said, sure, you know, and I'm thinking he's right, he's going to give me something really, really important to do, you know, it's probably a personal thing that I need to handle for Tony um, and so he looked at me and he kind of didn't say anything and he said I- I'm not sure that I want you on my team anymore and that was exactly my response which was what, what, why wouldn't you want me on your team and he said how would you characterize that meeting that we just had? And I said, I thought it was a great meeting. And he said, did you notice that you interrupted most everybody? Did you notice that you talk louder than everybody? Did you notice that you uh, had a bit of fish and that you finished their censuses? He said, if you're gonna handle both sides of the conversation, why do I need to be there? And I will tell you, and he said, I want to know where this incredible need for significance comes from. And I still, the hair on the back of my neck still stands up when I tell this story from that moment on, I started making serious, serious changes in how I operated and the lens by which I viewed things. And to this day, uh, If I ever interrupt somebody or finish a sentence, I will generally catch myself and go, I'm sorry, I I finished your sentence or I interrupted you. And the awareness of that will drive you crazy when you're in conversations with people that do that.
0: That's so great. And uh, yeah, that's why I asked. I remember you told me that uh, a while ago. And so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to go down that rabbit hole a little bit. But thanks for that. It's such a great story. But
1: uh, yeah, where did it start? Yeah. So um, my dream was always to uh, go into business with my father, who was in the football helmet and shoulder pad manufacturing business. You see two of his helmets um, uh, that I display on my desk. And, and he he was a pretty significant football player in his own right. Uh, he, he He is the he my father was the or is to this day. He is an eight-sport letterman at Texas Tech. He's a three-sport letterman, but he lettered eight times. So every time you play a year, you get a letter. So he's in the Texas Tech Hall of Honor. He got drafted by the Green Bay Packers in 1949 and uh, played with the Packers for a year. And then I didn't realize this, Pat, until after he died and I was cleaning out his office, but he actually broke his contract in the second year and went up to Canada because Canadian football uh, they were paying a thousand dollars more a year. <laughs> and so, um, one of his buddies went up there and I mean, I have, I have articles on my dad, uh, in the green Bay Packer or in the green Bay newspaper saying, you know, Kelly, Kelly, uh, you know, with the hurt back, you know, decided to blow off the, or, you know, break his contract and <laughs> hackers are th- threatening legal action and all that. Um, uh, so yeah, so long story short, uh he ended up um and then he ended up playing when he, he he got hit, broke his back, um, healed it up, went to Canada, played a year in Canadian Canadian football, and then he uh got, got hit pretty good. And the doctor said, If you want to be walking by the time you're twenty six, you need to quit playing football. So he played a year of Canadian pro basketball. Because he actually went to Texas Tech on a basketball scholarship. He never played football until he got to Tech. Unbelievable. So, And then after, after that, um, he was married. And uh, long story short, he spent 40-plus years in the sporting goods business. And then the last 10 of it, um, he was a manufacturer. Wow. So you so, planned
0: you planned to get into business like your dad? That was my
1: goal. Uh, my goal was to party like – 1982 and 83 and 84, and um, just had a great time at Texas Tech before um, I came home for Christmas break. And he said, he took us all out for a really nice dinner and he said, sold the company. And I remember looking at him going, well, what am I going to do then And he said, you're going to get your grades up. You're going to figure that out. And so uh, I ended up leaving Tech, coming home and going to work for his uh, plant manager who had took some of the money that dad had given him after the sale and he bought a courier service and so i was um i, I was basically you know, just driving around delivering packages before there was a you know a uh, amazon mm-hmm. and i found myself one day in north dallas bank building and delivering a package mm-hmm. to a company called foster financial group who was my uncle um his un- my uncle had an insurance agency, employee benefits, and uh, uh, financial planning shop, and had a um, he had a franchise agreement for an employee leasing company. Wow! And so I'm probably wearing a it's probably um, let's see it's probably March, so I probably wasn't in a cutoff sleeve t-shirt, but I was probably in dirty jeans and a dirty hat and all that. And I looked at the receptionist. I said, I'd like to see Mr. Foster. And she goes, Mr. Foster does not see delivery people. And I said, well, he's not. And so about 15 minutes later, he comes out and he's like, what are you doing? Coming to my office dressed this way? I said, well, you know, and then, you know, so we spent a few minutes together. And then two weeks later, I was back in his office, right back in the building. And we rode up in the elevator together. And he goes, look, I know that you love art. He's a great guy. And I know him. And but you're not learning anything in this job. And so I want you to come to work for me selling this." And I said, selling what? He goes, these are paychecks. Mm -hmm. And all I can tell you is, is two weeks later, um, I signed a contract and on April 15th, 1985, I found myself in a North Dallas hotel room with about 22 other people, um, where we spent five days learning a 45 minute sales pitch, which is a word that I hate today. where the prospect didn't get to speak. And so people wonder why we closed one out of 50 censuses that we got back then. Um, and back then, you know, people were like, we were selling at 6%, 5 and 6% of gross payroll, and required the client to put us payroll upfront on deposit. So it was, there was some difficulties getting it done, but I made my first sale, um, two weeks in to a three-person company, there was a small ad agency. I don't know if you remember Dave Reddick, but Dave Reddick was my Dave Reddick was my manager at the time. Okay. And so poor Dave, you know, had to deal with the nephew, the the owner of the company's nephew, uh, or the insurance agency's nephew, and it was like, oh man. Uh, <laughs> made three sales in the first 12 months and then made about 10 the next year. And then it just kind of took off from there. So how long were you with that company? Cause you ultimately ended up in Florida, didn't you? I did. So I was with my uncle's um, company for eight years and we ended up, um, we were actually, we were brokering before there were brokers because that company ran into some problems that that company ran into problems six months in and then uh we started representing somebody else and then um because of the insurance brokerage model my uncle was just like you you know we need to we we don't need to have all of our eggs in one basket mm-hmm. so and i obviously I spent some uh i spent some time with rex ely mm-hmm. uh working for tsc human resources um then literally six months into that we sold to express um personnel and stayed on for another uh, 18 months, two years and went to Atlanta, um, and was, um, vice president of sales for Paradigm. And I was supposed to be, the plan was to be in Atlanta for 18 months and then go to another office. And after six months, they promoted me to the corporate headquarters in Columbia, South Carolina. And we were there for three years then sold the company. Um, and then I came back to, uh, Arlington and started doing training and um you know reacquainting myself with my folks who were aging at that point in time and then a couple of years later Advantech called and went to work for them as their regional president for Texas for about a year and a half and then was promoted to vice president of sales and marketing um uh, in Florida what, what year did you go with Advantech? It was 2000, it was 2000. Okay.
0: Okay. Okay, so when uh, when did you go out on your own to do your to, to do the sales training? When did that begin, and what what was the process to get to there? When did you decide, like you know, what I'm going to uh, give up the uh, working for a PEO thing, and I'm going to do my own my own thing?
1: Well, it's really interesting because that's when I was just getting into Tony Robbins, and I had actually met him uh, in Florida, bumped into him in Florida. I mean, he was turning a corner, I was turning the same corner and we literally ran into each other and I fell down. I had, been, <laughs> I, I had been, um, we'd been out on the beach, um, and had probably one too many rum runners. And, um, and all of a sudden I just see this big hand coming down to help me up. And, uh, anyway, so, uh, I had no idea who he was and then, um, he actually gave me a copy of his book and I'm like unlimited power. It's black and red. This has got to be some kind of satanic, you know, and then you open it up. It's a picture of a firewalk, and it's like, Phew. you know, all right, this is devil worship. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, I'm not into this, and, but I read the book on the on the way home and it's an eight hour flight. And I read it on the way home and just couldn't put it down and contacted his office, got tapes and all that stuff. Then saw online. And so I really started you know, just really getting into it. And I had written a training manual for our agency. And because we were recruiting a lot of people and um, my uncle was like, we want to train these guys. We want to train them right. So I'd written this training manual and I'd given it to one of our wholesaler guys uh, with Provident Life and Accident and had him look at it. And he was like, you, there's some really good stuff in here. You should publish this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't, I mean, I don't know how to publish a book. I don't know how to do anything like that. Um, and so, you know, I just kind of put it on the shelf, you know, and, uh, the next month he called me and he said, Hey, we're, um, Todd and I are going to a cowboy game Monday night. Um, would you like to go with us? And I said, uh, man, I'd really love to, but I've got a training session on Tuesday and I need to be, uh, really rested and really sharp for that. And, um, he said, okay, um, But that night he and my other friend Todd were killed by a drunk driver. Oh oh my God.
0: Wow. That shot, that shot got pretty close.
1: It did. Um, and obviously I would have been in the car with him. Yep. And so, um, I basically a month later, and this is a guy that I would have lunch with once a week. Yeah. I mean, he's just an amazing guy. Great salesman. Um, and so I remember being in my office and just weeping. Yeah. And all of a sudden I saw that training manual in my bookcase and the word, his words of, you ought to publish this. So it took me about a month and a half to rewrite it. I put together the crappiest marketing flyer, probably, uh, on the planet. <laughs> Got a list of the members of the national staff leasing association. And um, sent out this mailer and started getting orders for books. And then people call in saying, "I want sales training." And uh, I, I, Greg Packer and uh, Rex Ely, uh, hired me to do a training for their two companies and uh, in Little Rock. And that's when I really kicked it off. And then Rex. Came calling about a year later and is like, we need, we need somebody to manage our sales. So that's when I went to work for Rex. So you went to work for Rex and then went back out on your own. So I I was out on my own for about a year and a half doing speaking and training, and then Rex called and uh, also had had interviews with Admistaff with a guy named Gerald Broussard, Gerald. And I are friends to this day. Got an email from him uh, two hours ago, showing me his granddaughter. Um, Gerald and I are still friends. Just love the guy. And anyway, so the the offer and everything just was a little bit sweeter, and the opportunity. And so um, that's the choice that I made. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so you
0: started uh, like Kelly Inc. What year?
1: Um, so clay, Kelly, uh, clay, rush. It's actually started as rush consulting group. Um, <laughs> and then I rebranded under Claykelly.com in 2004 when I came back from Florida.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So how many people
0: do you suppose you have trained? <laughs> have you, do you, did you keep count or do you have a, have you a ballpark number?
1: Um, in the neighborhood of 4,000, um, <laughs> at one point i actually totaled up the days of actual training days that i was in training and there's i mean it's over 3000 and have any have
0: any of them ever closed a sale <laughs> i hope so <laughs>
1: especially the ones that keep inviting me back thank you um
0: okay so how has the ceo sale Changed since I don't know, 85. I guess when you first put your toe in the water and you were out making cold calls with uh three-person companies,
1: et cetera. How has that changed? Um, well, certainly um it's become more of a HR. Now it's even more of a technology sale. Um, technology is such a huge important part of it. Um, you know, we were out just pitching. You know, show up, throw up. Um, it wasn't until about, like I say, seven years in that I started, you know, consultative selling techniques came out and you started talking about asking questions. But I'll never forget being in a um, three years in. And back then, we sold a composite fee and it was that fee all year long. Mm. And um, the, I was proposing to this uh, oil field services company who said, um, um, very highly compensated. And I said, you know, we're going to save you $38,000 a year. And the CFO looks at me and says, um, well, all of our people have already reached the FICA wage base for the year. Mm. And I was like, the what? <laughs> and he said, the FICA wage base. And I said, uh, he said, you see, you've got FICA right here and I, on the proposal. And I said, yes. And he said, "So you're telling me you don't know what FICA is?" Mm. And I said, "Well, I know it's Social Security." He said, "But you're telling me you don't know what the wage base is?" And I said, "No, I don't." He goes, "You can leave my office now." And that was a huge learning. Um, if that's when I decided, you know what? If I'm going to be in this business, and I absolutely loved it from from week one, at, I've loved this business, and I've never stopped loving this business. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was going, all right, I'm going, I'm on a mission. I was on a mission to learn everything I could learn. And I was on a mission to uh, get better at at selling and genuine sales skills. And so then we went to consultative selling and then, you know, we learned about HR and then we fear-based sold because it was like, well, if you don't have, if you don't have, uh, you know, you violate title seven, that's $300,000 plus, 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 you know, so we beat them over the head with that like idiots um and it wasn't until you know I, I i would say 1997 that i really started thinking through um you know that there's a better way to do this and it's really about discovery it's really about asking the right questions it's really about building a business case and so that's what i started doing and, and i was going to
0: ask you yes yeah, so what what is that shift, and you know, from cold calls and beating people over the head, et cetera, et cetera? What would you say are the key elements or insights of that shift?
1: Um, the first one was Anita Hill. Nobody ever talked about HR. Nobody talked about sexual harassment. And then all of a sudden, our clients started saying, "Hey, aren't you supposed to be helping us with all of this stuff?" Mm-hmm. And so when Anita Hill sat before Congress and said she had been sexually harassed, that's the first time sexual harassment had even been uh, talked about. Yeah, interesting. So that was a that was a huge turning point in PEOs nationwide, I believe, because mm-hmm. that's when people started to get serious about delivering HR services and delivering real risk management and not making this a workers comp and benefits play. Mm hmm what uh yeah
0: what what other changes again in terms of your mindset and how you shifted your sales uh tactics techniques or yeah so
1: beliefs so yeah. when I was when I was running sales for paradigm um in Atlanta it, it we we were very very uh we worked hard and we were very lucky and we sold like two thousand lives in six months and we did it we did it through a prospecting system, a renewal day prospecting system. So we cold called for workers' comp and health insurance renewal dates because as my friend Bob Adams likes to say, nobody ever wakes up one morning and says, I think I need to buy me some PEO today. <laughs> uh, they will make a decision or we, we were like, what forces them to make a decision? And it's a renewal day for workers' comp and health and everything else is just gravy. And so um, I was literally, at the time, we had made another acquisition of another PEO. Paradigm was more of a consolidation of six PEOs being purchased over a period of three years and some, some organic growth as well. And um, so because cold calling, cold calling, cold calling had been in my DNA, that's what I made the team do. And it was successful. But literally um, on at noon on Wednesdays, I would have to fly to Columbia. Um, we had a plane because we had made this acquisition. We had a company plane. And so it was just not anything luxurious as a two-seater. It scared the hell out of me. actually <laughs> and um, And so I became really, really good at qualifying because it's like, I literally got a plane to catch. And that's when I started developing um, my mapping techniques because I was really getting those, you know, three years, four years into Tony Robbins at that point in time. Um, and was doing mind mapping techniques, which, you know, you draw, you draw a picture of your notes and you can show that to a prospect and they would get it. Um, But it, I also, my qualifying skills and what I taught the sales team was, look, let's quit messing around. Let's, if, if, if they are not going to buy, we need to know that as early on in the process as possible. And so we got really, really good at qualifying and It literally went from we'll see anybody to don't put me in front of anybody that's not a CEO. Mm. And I've even changed that since then. And I referenced that in seminar today where I'll say, even 20 years ago, I'd say, just let me talk to the CEO, just the CEO. Well, if you disenfranchise and you leave HR out of that conversation or you leave the benefits administrator, or you leave the payroll person out of that conversation, they're gonna be disenfranchised. And when they finally do get brought into the conversation, what, what's their motivation for giving a thumbs up to this? So my my thing now is, is let's get everybody in the room, especially those that may have fear, uncertainty, doubt about what all this looks like. And let's read body language. Let's get everybody on board. And if there's an objection or that we're not able to overcome. Let's walk away from this gracefully, but let's do it as early on in the process. Let's get all the, what I call the BS objections out of the way, belief system objections out of the way um, as early on in the process. So we can focus on truly building a business case that makes it indisputable whether they should do this. Mm -hmm. Because I'm just a firm believer that any company should be doing a PEO. Um, yeah, there are some size things that you get involved with, but the largest deal that I was ever involved with was 1,250 employees was scattered in 16 states. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. So, you know, size matters to some degree, but really it's the complexity, but I want to get everybody in the room and, uh, let's get all of the, let's get all of the tired old objections out of the way and let's focus on building a business case. Um, because I believe that every company should be operating with a PEO. Now, that's not to say that every every company is a good prospect uh, based on their business and their risk, but everybody ought to be outsourcing. And how?
0: Uh, no, obviously I agree. Uh, the uh, what are the top objections that you
1: run into? Well, I believe that there's only three. If you if you do a really good job of qualifying, I believe that there's only three valid objections. First one is timing. If the timing is not right, you can have the greatest. You know, I've, I've said this forever. You probably have heard me say this. Timing is everything, from sex to selling. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're too early, it's you know, to the game, then everybody's going to be disappointed, or you shouldn't be even playing in the game to begin with. So, the other one is money, and um, you know, sometimes the financials are just not going to work, but. You're not going to find that out until you get further down the line. The third objection is what I call a Richie Harder objection. And Richie Harder has been my best friend since seventh grade. And I'm not doing business with anybody in his industry other than Richie Harder. I don't care, period. So it's a loyal, a Richie Harder relationship is a loyal relationship that are never, ever, ever going to break. But you can, you can find out about timing and you can find about, find out about a Richie Harder relationship literally in the first meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing that I will say in terms of how things have been sold, I fired a guy back in 1997, um, going into Paradigm, um, because he couldn't afford to get out in his car, his leased BMW and put gas in it because he couldn't afford it because his credit was wrecked and it just was long story, you know, just a long trail. But he was trying to sell it over the phone because in his previous life, all of his sales had been over the phone. And I'm like, you can't sell this business over the phone. Well, you can certainly now sell this business via Zoom and go to meeting and Teams. We've proven that. We've proved that during COVID. Um, I'm very fortunate that I get referrals from all over the country. And so I was doing video conferencing and having those discussions going back to 2012, uh, I think is the first time. I uh, ever had a video conference because the client was in LA, and I couldn't just jump on a plane and go to LA for a discovery meeting. And so we pretty much did everything over the phone and through video conference.
0: So I, I, uh, we talked about you know how the sales process has changed, uh, and I, I think you you touched on it, but let me again let's explore this a little bit. How's the industry changed? I mean, again, considering you started in '85, uh, you've seen a lot of changes. I know uh, Seth Perretta of the Groom Law Group said to me, you by, by, right just about as I started, he said, this industry's reinvented itself so many times. Yeah. I remember, I just never forgot that he said that. So uh, yeah. So how, how has this industry changed? You, you've been here, you know, pretty much since the birth and you've seen all the, the, the iterations of it. Uh, how's it changed?
1: Um, well, certainly I don't think even really employee leasing companies knew what in the world they were doing in the first three years. I mean, we used to show up and drop off paychecks and pick up a check for the payroll. Um, now we had we had payroll on deposit, so you know that was a good thing. Um, and but it was it was literally just all about saving money on health insurance at first, and then all of a sudden it became about um, workers comp and. Then it moved into being a, a little bit more of an HR-centric sale. And then you had a whole bunch of problems with companies running into issues with workers' comp and they um just going out there and taking risk and not doing any risk management. And back then there was a methodology that the state insurance commissioners have now figured out, you know, or figured out 25 years ago, and that is is. You can't just reincorporate a company and get a new mod. Um, but that's, that, that's what, that that's how we were taught. That's how we sold this. And I, I tell people in, in training camp in four and a half days, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share with you more about how you sell this business than I knew in the first 10 years mm-hmm. of how to sell this business, how to sell it right and how to sell it where it is a, it is a truly a business case of, Mm-hmm. helping companies with HR and being able to manage risk and being able to give them technology that they would not be able to afford otherwise. So it has certainly become a much, much more well-rounded sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and nowadays the the challenges are even more different uh, because with the remote workforce and the fact that it used to, you wanted everybody within proximity, um, the Tony Robbins principle of power, um, there's power in proximity. And um, you know, we just didn't want clients any further than two or three hours away. Well, that there's an old Texas saying that dog don't hunt anymore. You might have an employee that's sitting in Connecticut, and you, know, you might have 40 employees based in Arlington, Texas, and three in Arlington, Virginia, and three in Arlington, Georgia, and um seven in Las Vegas and four in uh Seattle. And so we've got to be able to pivot and be able to accommodate all of that. And I think that our fees have got to go up as a result of that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and, and are you finding that business owners are more
0: sophisticated?
1: Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Um, and certainly in the markets where you know there, there's a bit more um uh market awareness, Florida, Texas. Uh, California and certainly New York and other states where it's become much, much more commonplace. Um, Yes. They're more sophisticated and our salespeople, I I believe that our salespeople have got to really up their game as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. There's you, you can't paint somebody in a corner and not expect them to come out of that corner. Mm -hmm. And manipulative sales techniques do not—they're they, a huge turnoff. Um, the fear base that I went through in the late '90s didn't realize that it was the biggest turnoff as it is, as it was. Um, and this is all this this sale is all about rapport. It's about making a business case. It's about truly being able to answer questions um, and answer questions authentically and quickly and do it without having to worry about passing a red face test.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I know. And I've heard you uh, you talk about this so much uh, is, you know, just sort of the whole concept. I mean, this, this goes back to, you You know, the, 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 the early story about uh, Tony and, and his guy, you know, and, and, you know, kind of listen more and, and talk less. And uh, obviously, obviously a lesson I've ignored, but like, <laughs> uh, I know you've talked a lot about going in and, just ask it first, like like tell me like what, what what's on your mind and just tell me about your business and and what keeps you awake, et cetera, et cetera. Which leads me to the, the, my next question, which is what what are the most common mistakes you see salespeople make?
1: Uh first of all, they they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They don't they, they don't understand the complexities and the true value of everything that we're bringing to the table. And mm-hmm. they may, they may know it. The difference between what I believe to be highly, highly successful salespeople and just the C and D players are those that truly understand this business and have a passion for it. Understand that, you know what, this is something, this isn't just a product I'm selling. It is it is a difference maker in an organization. And I, I we could talk for hours of stories um, that I have of client situations where just heroic acts—I um, can't remember if it was Packer or who said it—but we 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 do the impossible for the ungrateful. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, we could again we could talk for hours on those stories, but I think that it's it's truly owning your craft and and truly being a professional. A professional is somebody that that gets paid for what they do, but is one that has integrity, they've got honor, they've got um, character, they're authentic. Um, and I, I came from ego and and arrogance, you know, for the first, you know, eight, 10 years, and i you know, to some degree, I'm grateful for having that salt of Paul change. Um, but number one is, the, is having a passion, really owning what this industry is all about. Number two is qualifying. Um, qualifying to make sure that, that it's a fit. And, you know, if it's not a fit, just being okay with walking away. The challenge is most salespeople don't have a robust enough pipeline. And so they hang on to the deal until we, back in the day, we called them China eggs. You just don't want to break your China eggs. Well, a robust pipeline and not wasting time. The biggest thing that I've learned in the last 20 years is when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And so when you invest your time with a prospect that is just stringing you along, or you're not, uh, we're not being honest with each other in whether or not this is a qualified prospect, then somebody's out seeing somebody that is qualified. Yeah, yeah. And so we've got to ask the right questions. We've got to we've got to check our ego at the door, go into building authentic rapport, and um, truly, truly being okay with the fact that there's hair on every deal and figuring out where, where that is. Yep. Yep. And then obviously making a business case, making making a financial business case, and then laying out a proposal that makes sense, not just some boilerplate cookie cutter. Um, I, I won my first huge deal, 600, 600 employees, 650 employees. Um, because I listed all of their problems in the second page of the proposal—that we had 26 problems that we had uncovered in the in our discovery process—and the two other companies threw down a, a basic proposal that, um, you know, um, just was a boilerplate proposal. Yeah, yeah. Now
0: it's great advice and and great insight again from 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 years at it. What is from where you sit? Because again, I you spend a lot of time with clients, a lot of time in the space. What's the outlook for the industry, do you think?
1: Well, I love the private equity money that's come into the industry in the last 20 years. I think it's, it's, it's a long time coming. I, I also, our, our day arrived during COVID, as you so aptly put it, it took a global pandemic to put us on the forefront. Um, and I'll never forget you. Know, I was not gonna get a PPP loan uh, for my own firm and my banker um, is a neighbor of mine and every day when we were out on the back porch having a glass of wine he would be walking with his family because everybody was getting outside um and he'd yell at me to go clay kelly you're an idiot this is free money you need to do it. so long story short when i um when i finally decided that i was going to do it um i called my banker and i said um uh or called the peo and i said so what do i i need to talk to you guys about the reports i need they said we'll have them for you in five minutes and i sent them to my banker and my banker calls me back and he goes are you with a peo and i said yeah and he said i don't know what it is i don't know what a peo is. never heard of it he said but our clients that are with peos all of their information comes in a nice tight tight little package and they're getting approved faster than anybody and i was like you don't know what a PEO is. And he said, Nope. I said, we're having lunch. (laughs) Yeah. So the
0: outlook you
1: think is, I guess, I'm, I'm so excited about the future. Um, so in two weeks, I'll be 30, uh, 38 years in, um, which is pretty hard to believe. And I'm as excited now about where the industry is going. Um, I love the fact that, again, that the private equity money is there. I love the fact that advisors are now on board and understand it. Um, I can't wait for April 15th to pass, not just simply because it's an anniversary for me, but also that means that we can go talk to our clients' CPAs and get them, uh, have a conversation with them, share with them all the great things that we do because they'll now be finished with the with tax season <laughs> and get referrals from CPAs, because I'll tell you, that's the biggest untapped market in my opinion Yeah, is wealth managers, CPAs, the advisors to our clients yeah. who have other business clients are the key to unlocking authentic business relationships. When you get brought in by a CPA or an attorney or a wealth manager, the whole uh, concept of rapport and uh, trust, you better have earned it and you better not violate it, or you're in real trouble.
0: Yeah.
1: It is certainly advanced when you get brought in by a CPA. So um, I would encourage everybody, get out there, start talking to clients. If it's not part of your discovery document that you're asking all the questions from the FEIN number to who's a controlling person, go ahead and get CPA firm, go ahead and get the attorney, go ahead and get the banker, get that information, um, because that way, once you gain the client relationship, that's the other thing Pat. I'll tell you that we've taken closing out of every bit of all of our information, every bit of our online programs, all of my trainings, we've taken closing the sale out of the vernacular, out of the vocabulary. It's about gaining the client relationship.
0: Yeah. It's a great way to put it.
1: Yeah, it's a great
0: way to put it. And, and, and I think, as you know, we are obviously putting uh, some muscle Behind uh, the trusted advisors, right? We're doing focus groups with trusted advisors, and we're going to be doing more work with accountants and with the folks that you've you've talked about. Because as you said, that if this is a ten step process that brings you in at like step eight. It just it just does right. You get in. You got you've got the imprimatur of the accountant or the lawyer or the financial advisor, and it's uh, you know it, it it makes it a whole lot easier from there, right? Um, Okay, so let me ask you this. What what would be your advice uh, to a new entrant, somebody who's new to the PEO space? What's your advice?
1: Um, Understand right off the bat, it's a complex sale. Mm -hmm. Um, Understand right off the bat that you've got to, it's going to take time to build a pipeline of authentic clients. And um, you've got to be patient. But the whole time, the first First 90 to 120 days has got to be about learning the business and getting out there and having conversations. And the and, and just knowing that you've got to kiss a lot of frogs to get your prince or princess and to know that it's 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 a daily, I don't want to say it's a grind, but to some degree, you know, it's a good term because there's no easy days in this business. Um yeah you know, there's always something that that can come up and you can have client situations that come up and you know i've been very very fortunate to have the client relationships that i have um but the it's 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 about learning this business and it's about having authentic business conversations you know the abc's of selling have always been told that it's always be closing which is why i took closing out of all of our material I believe the ABCs of this business are the authentic business conversation Mm. that leads to the authentic business case, that leads to the authentic business client, Mm. not a manipulated somebody that feels like they've been closed is never going to give you referrals. And um, personally, for my own business, I've not made a cold call in over 20 years. It's been through referrals. That's great.
0: You know, it leads me to a, a just an observation or a question. Do you, as a leading question, do you, it, is the awareness of PEOs higher like when you're, than when you started? Like when you get out there, there, is more people, I mean, I always talk about, I call it the guy next to me on the airplane test. You know, that just to me, anecdotally, it seems like the guy next to me on the airplane or the gal next to me on the airplane more often like, oh yeah, I know what a PEO is. Like, wow. Are you finding the same thing? Like a higher level? Oh, sure. Okay, good. Absolutely. Good, good. That's good to know.
1: Yeah. And, and certainly, yeah. you know, big kudos to y'all for everything that you've done at the association and Carrie and her team, and just the, the work of the outside from McBassy to all of the outside folks that you've had involved over the years to really up that game in a huge way. And again, I I go back to your famous saying, and that is it took a global pandemic for people to truly understand the value. And we're still not, I I think we're still feeling the effects of that. And the the reason I ask that is, or I say that is, is because um, I have a client that is getting the opportunity to present to some bankers. And so um, in the next week, next week, we actually did a dry run of the conversation this week. But I called my banker, And his right hand, and another um, very prominent banker here in town that I've known for a long time. And I said, Tell me what your customers are saying to you about what's going on in their world. And, um, you know, from interest rates to inflation to can't find people and all that, it's like, you know what? If you got into a PEO relationship, you could focus on those things, you could focus on culture, you could focus on quality hiring programs. Instead of messing around with, you know, just handbooks and and dealing with workers comp and dealing with payroll and dealing with all of those things. And so, yeah, it's about truly, truly, truly. But again, it's about making an authentic business case and having asking a, asking some really, really great questions yeah. and knowing why you're asking the question mm-hmm. and not making it a manipulative type question. Um because you won't earn that opportunity again yeah yeah it's
0: a great point a great point
1: um okay so last question
0: here comes the, here comes the grenade what is something we don't know about clay kelly i mean we all know you married up so that's <laughs> done don't, don't don't use that one uh anybody's met brandy knows that you are you are punching so far above your weight <laughs> it's unbelievable We'll no, let that no, go God for a moment um What's something we don't know?
1: Wow, it's um, a great question. You know, we already talked about the Tony Robbins stuff. Yeah. I, yeah, I've, I've actually walked on fire more than three hundred and fifty times. Wow! So I've done over three hundred and fifty fire walks. Got burned three times, um, and uh, but yeah, and, and led you know lots and lots of people through fire That's so one of the fun things that um, I'm still selling today. I don't. I mean, there's people that say you know. I thought, I, I thought you were just training. No, I mean, i this right here is a hundred and hundred and forty employee file that we presented last week and have a follow up meeting next week. Um, I, I'm just, I love this business. Um, I, with a passion and I'm, I'm at the end of the day, um, I believe in helping people. That is a core value for me. Um, the person that used to operate within, with, with ego doesn't exist anymore. And, um, my, I think that we are put on this earth to help others. And that is without a doubt, uh, my mission, um, that I wake up each and every day. And the last thing I'll say is, is that you'll, you never know when you wake up some morning, never know who you're going to meet that day. Yeah, yeah. It's going to change your life forever and yeah so wake up with that anticipation not that i got to go make a bunch of cold calls today or that i've got to wake up with the anticipation that you're going to meet somebody today that's going to change your life forever
0: and it will become true absolutely the other thing people don't know about you is you've got a big heart you have driven uh, and gives back i don't know if you conscripted baron or baron conscripted you but you've done so much good through that for us and for the organization and for uh, folks in Marco Island and in uh, Palm Desert, and uh, I don't know if everybody knows that, but uh, I'll, I'll answer the question for you. And that that's just been tremendous, and uh, and I really do appreciate it, pal. Hats off to you. That's that's been great for us.
1: Well, you know, um, Baron is my longest client, um, longest continued client, and when Baron calls, you answer the phone. And when he said, you know. You, you, throughout this idea, I was like, absolutely, I'm on board, whatever, whatever you want me to do. And, um, you know, the, uh, we also have bikes from Mission Arlington here in town, um, to date since uh, 2009. uh, We've given a brand new bicycle to 17,000 kids on Christmas.
0: It's great stuff. Great stuff. Well, thank you, pal. I'm proud. Uh, proud of you and everything you've done for the industry. And, you know, you if you trade three, train 3,000 people, that's got something to do with the growth of this industry. If, if each one sold one client, that'd be a lot. And they <laughs> sold more than one client. So uh, thanks to my friend, Clay Kelly. Thanks for the time today. I really appreciate you being with us. Just a great, uh, great conversation. Uh, you certainly didn't disappoint. And uh, thanks for being with us today.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. And it's been, it's been a real privilege. Um, to be your friend and to be on this journey with you for the last 12 years, you've done amazing things for this association. You've fought so many great battles. You've put up with a lot of crap um, that I'm aware of, and uh, I'm just so pleased and and happy to call you my friend. And um, I know that this is coming down to the sunset of of your tenure uh, as the CEO. Um, but some you can't you can't get out of this business. I mean, you just it stay it stays it stays in you. And I'm, I'm
0: I'm Michael Corleone. every time I get out, pull me back in.
1: No yeah. doubt about it. But it's been it's been a privilege and it's okay, been fun you. being a part of your journey. Thank you, pal. I appreciate it. Thanks, it.